beginning, beginning again. Encouraging ourselves to appreciate and take advantage of this important opportunity to reflect on the nature of things, the nature of our life, the nature of the experience of being, a sense of me doing this, doing that, feeling this, feeling that. Last night, uh, Tanisara opened up the, the crux, crux of the Buddha's teachings. The crystallization of his process of awakening, what's called the Four Noble Truths, the way the mind can work, the way we tend to objectify and through our use of nouns, it tends to concretize and make it seem like we, we know that we have a name for it. Oh yeah, another meditation. Another Dharma talk. How long do these go? Dharma talk today, me. Oh God, I know that one. Him, oh dear. The noble truths, one can think, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I got that two years ago. Yeah, that was pretty neat. But um, but I've done a few retreats, so um, when you're going to open up the secret door, but if we we listen closely, these these noble truths were were uh, openaiko. They they were deepening, dynamic. Invitations, exhortations to to reflect on this experience. So, in a sense, rather than noble truths, is something out there, and uh, you had to give it a good sound to make it. You know, you'd be interested in wanting it. In a sense, it it, it might be more skillful to say they're ennobling truths. that first ennobling truth of dukkha. There is dukkha. Didn't say, (laughs) you bozos, you're suffering. (laughs) Not like me. I've blown the lid off this thing. (laughs) And that would set up, oh, who does he think he is? He's he's the guy that ate that uh, milk rice from the beautiful girl. 
he said, there is. At first, as Tanisara was sharing, they, they weren't, they didn't want to hear anything from the slacker, the one who'd gone the way of luxury. But uh, the, the Buddha said, no, I've realized. When they weren't interested, he said, have I ever talked this way before? And they were, were open. And he began, there is suffering, dukkha, that experience which is not easy to bear. From the dukkha dukkha, just strong pain in the knee, as well as a pain in the back, and a cold. Just pain to even a pleasant feeling has that little bit of stress as we're not wanting to lose it, trying to keep it going. The dukkha of the, even the pleasant, because it's uncertain, it keeps dissolving. And that profound, profound dukkha of uh, everything, even though the word thing makes it seems like things are stable, everything's continually melting, shifting. So there is this experience of pain, being with what you don't want to be with, don't want to be with this dread. I don't want to be with this heat. I don't want to be with this sense of the fog and everything's always clear. Well, I'm just in fog, not wanting to be with, or the being the separated from what we want to be with, the peaceful, or the beloved. remembering the intimate moments, the beautiful moments, the harmonious moments, and then feeling separate from that, hearkening back, longing back, that dukkha. There is dukkha. It needs to be understood, stood under, open to. This is the dynamic part, the invitation, the ennobling, deepening, the encouragement to rather than fix it, blame it, deny it, open to. Rather than being ashamed that we're suffering, think it's some sort of failure, remembering the great awakened ones as the recognition there is suffering and that willingness just to have moments, even moments, opening to. That in and of itself stretches the capacity of the citta, the heart, become more human, more realistic, able to bear the reality. 
rather than so quickly being wanting to get to the place where there isn't. Not only does it uh, deepen our compassion, our capacity to resonate with that which is not easy to bear, then compassion, the being with the suffering, we're, we're deepening our capacity to be with dukkha, to be compassionate. And in that spaciousness, willingness to open to, then there's the possibility of recognizing, hmm, what is going on here? When we're so busy getting rid of, so busy being totally lost in, there's not comprehension. There might just be believing our conditioned biases or reasons, blaming it on somebody else, or using it to just blame ourselves. I'm just an idiot. When people would uh, come to our uh, dear teacher, Lumpa Cha, and as we do, sometimes we moan and feel sorry for ourselves because of all our suffering. And it's, it is difficult. But he would smile, not with a malicious smile. He would say, the Lord Buddha wouldn't call it a noble truth if it was a bad thing. Opportunity to turn to in moments. If we think, oh, I've got to be with my suffering for the rest of eternity. That's a challenging thought. How about an in-breath? an out-breath, a moment of opening to the discomfort, the unnamed anxiety, the grief. And there's the possibility then of recognizing this origin of how we fuel it, perpetuate it, keep it going, this, this grasping. Or as Ajahn Chah would say, this wanting and not wanting. Wanting the pleasant states to last. It's not an evil. It's natural, can be natural. This, this clinging, this climbing on to, this, this leaning on. So it's like building a house on something. If you build a house on, say, ice, and it melts, and then the foundation disappears, it collapses. When we have a, a pleasant mood, pleasant feeling, a successful circumstance, something that we like, even a uplifting comment, innocent. But that leaning on, so to speak, building our house on, 
that that's what's called taking birth, that sense of leaning, just as if I was tired and on a walk and went by the parking lot and <laughs> leaned on the car to rest. And then while I was leaning, the, the owner came in and pulled out, <laughs> fall over. When we lean on praise, lean on pleasure, lean on anything, and it shifts, there's a sense of the loss of balance. Dukkha. Birth, death. Trying to hold on to find security, trying to fend off. It's the origin of dukkha, the Buddha realized. Ennobling, the ennobling invitation is when we recognize this habitual and natural. It's, it's rooted in wanting peace, wanting security, this clinging, this desiring for, holding, this getting rid of. When we notice that, and through understanding, realize that that actually is just feeding more suffering. Then the practice is letting go. The second noble truth where there is this desire, this grasping, this clinging, practicing letting that go. For example, we're sitting here and don't feel so good, and yet yesterday we felt amazing and everything was humming, not even outside hum, an inside hum. And that fatigue, that brain fatigue, body fatigue, not wanting it, wanting to get, get ahead, wanting to get back to that state, not wanting it. That's like Lumpa Cha pointing to the boulders and saying, is that heavy? Yes, Lumpa, the disciple said. Yes, Venerable Father, it is heavy. Nah, he said. Only if you try to shift it, lift it, move it. This painful feeling, oh, it's heavy. Gosh, I feel that pain in the back. It's, it's heavy. As we're... <laughs> thinking it shouldn't be there, wanting it not be there, pushing it, lifting it, carrying it. I'm the one who doesn't feel good. Practicing moments of, oh, hmm, there is dukkha. It's very different from, oh gosh, my retreat's a write-off. Some funny joke, Lord Buddha, right off. Then hearing that mind going like that, there is moments of there is dukkha. Even just without judging so much, holding, being willing to bear, be with, listen to, reflect on that sense of dukkha. And in that spaciousness, maybe noticing this pushing against, resenting, that painful feeling maybe in the nervous system or the fog or whatever the condition we're 
working with and wanting it to be different from a memory of how it could be or what we've read in the books. Deep peace that's always there. And then moments of practicing, ah, that's grabbing and rejecting. Moments of practicing letting be. Letting go, letting those desire and aversion just be what they are, rather than so much having to identify with them. And before we know it, we notice moments where the discomfort, if if that's what it is, is just what it is. We're not pushing it, we're not pulling it. Is it heavy? You maybe could still call it painful, but a whole, quite extraordinary. Amount of distress comes from wanting things to be otherwise. Practicing letting go and that third truth, there is the end of suffering. As we've been saying from the first night, the Buddha recognized, wow, this true nature is luminous, is peaceful. Always. whatever time, whatever place. The ending of suffering is to be tasted. He encouraged us that this is what we practice knowing. In moments, tasting. When he talked about this ending of suffering, which he called Nibbana cooling, the cooling down of the fires of greed and hatred, grabbing and pushing away and delusion, this imagining that we can possess things. It's just an imagination because all these so-called things, as we contemplate, with our vipassana, our insight, we realize everything, this day shifting, changing, this moment, this dharma talk, it's the morning talk, and I always have such a hard time getting through the morning talks, but we go closer to the morning talk. Sounds, touching, dissolving, this talk is full of holes. It's not actually a thing. The talk, our experience, our life from our body pulsing, feeling energized, exhausted, our feeling tones from liking, being pleased, sort of, hmm, can't really say positive or negative, to, oh, this is hard to be with, this is pain, continually shifting. But the delusion of a 
imagining when we, when we take a, a successful moment and then hold it, yes, I've done it. Lean, then it shifts, and then the sense of loss, dislocation, then striving again to find security, something else to hold on to. It's natural, but that's this perpetuation. The Buddha taught the ending of greed in any moment, the ending of the grasping, the ending of aversion, of letting go. When there's no wanting and not wanting, that is Nibbana. We recognize in a moment what has always been here, this shining, luminous, timeless citta, heart. Ending of suffering is to be tasted, known, realized. And this path, this practice of living virtuously, ethically, training ourselves to be mindful, composed, training ourselves to look in to the nature of things. This is a dynamic deepening ennobling truth. He said, no, this is to be developed, cultivated, little by little by little. So it's a gradual path that paradoxically is not going anywhere. It's more and more open, taking us deeper and deeper into being here. Waking up to what is here. So in our practice, our meditation, in our sitting and walking, finding a comfortable posture, we don't have to, now that we're doing Vipassana, go do something totally different. As has been spoken, this steadying, calming, looking into, investigating, are different expressions of the one mind. The Buddha compared them to two oxen working in tandem to plow the field. Arjun Chah would even compare it to a knife, the back of the blade that's a little thicker, giving the strength to the knife, is like the steadying, the calming, the samatha aspect but that it can be sharpened, that can look into. With a certain steadiness, we can be present. But if one, say, for example, looks right at these thoughts that are saying, oh, I think I'm getting it now, finally, we'll see those thoughts, whoa, dissolving, dissolving, dissolving. Oh, I had it yesterday and I should have written it down. I know I should have. Oh, God. Wait a minute. Come back. Come back. I wrote, Damn it. Oh, dear. Is that wrong speech? <sighs> we'll see. The, the, this, 
discouraged, encouraged, discouraged with the sharpness, the presence, the steadiness to see, whoa, these thoughts that are telling me good and bad and good and they keep dissolving. And when I let them be, I notice they keep arising and ceasing in this unmoving ground. of listening, of wakefulness. So as we sit, steadying ourselves in this moment, cultivating this path of being in relationship with our life, as we sit, feel the ground of the earth holding us. Remind ourselves, oh, this is, relatively speaking, safe. I'm with kindred spirits in a sanctuary. So we can give ourselves permission to relax and receive that in-breath, remembering that we're surrounded by an ocean of vitality. that we call me, me here, but this me continually needs what's around us. The blessing of the in-breath. And then letting go. We can breathe out anytime we want. Steadying ourselves. Encouraging the heart to stay here. Practicing being with the breathing, the sensations of sitting, and aware that this so-called breath, this thing, is always changing. every moment becoming otherwise, every moment becoming otherwise, practicing being aware of and at ease with the changing nature of sensation as we breathe in and out. aware of change as we breathe in, the tingling, the expansion, as we breathe out, around whatever area we're noticing the breathing, as we widen our gaze a little bit, we'll notice the various sensations of the body flickering, shifting, as we breathe in and out. Practicing being at ease with that truth. And the feeling tones, whether they're pleasant or even difficult to be with, also are shifting 
sounds. Not only the experience of the body, but what's around us. Sounds coming, going, dissolving. Each sound arises and dissolves back into the unmoving silence. The Buddha taught that even one moment of noticing change has extraordinary blessing in it. How much the more so if we deepen this recognition? Because once we notice change, then does it make sense to, with every sight and sound, feeling and circumstance dissolving, how are we going to freeze it and find steadiness and security by grasping? It's a recipe for dukkha. So this recognition of change helps us as we breathe in and out, let go. Realize this is just causing ourselves harm, wanting what's moving and changing, wanting it to be steady and reliable. Practice touching, receiving this unreliable, shifting, changing moment. Practice letting it be. Letting each sound do its thing, coming and going, and resting in that silence, that listening ground of being. With each out-breath, like a mother with a child on a swing, the mother's standing behind the child and the child swings forward and comes back. The mother touches the child and lets go. The child swings forward. child comes back, the mother touches, Let's go. Each outbreath, so letting go. Letting be, resting in that mother of all conditions, that awareness, presence. So we breathe in, touching, receiving the sensations, pleasant or painful, good or bad. They're shifting, changing, letting go with each outbreath, letting be, resting. resting in that ground of awareness that's always here and now. If 
we're struggling. The heart, oh, I can't let go. There is dukkha. Moments of uh, opening to that, let holding, letting be. Practicing, letting things come and go. With kindness, each in-breath receiving, each out-breath remembering, letting go. (laughs) 